0: Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Crime Welcome to the broadcast. Today, we're going to look at innovation and new business, or at how innovation evolves into new business and new products. I have to discuss this interesting challenge, which is particularly important in the time of COVID-19, when we may need whole new ways of doing all sorts of things, like educating our children, like how do we have social events, how do we redesign theatres and restaurants so we can use them until such a time as COVID is no longer a threat. I have with me Morgan O'Brien, Executive Chairman of Antarex, who is one of the, or was rather, one of the co-creators of Nextel. And somebody who went to work at Nextel very early in its days actually named Nextel. That is Jack Markell. He is also a two-time former governor of the state of Delaware. I'm so glad that you're both on this broadcast because you both have track records as innovators. Morgan, you were the creator of Nextel. And one of your first hires, I understand, was Jack Nochel. And that Jack actually named Nextel, which makes him something of an innovator. Um, How does innovation exist next to normal, natural business functions? How do you get corporations
1: to innovate? Morgan? Well, I would say it's, it's not a natural. Relationship. It's, a, it's an awkward relationship. And uh, I think the reason we have uh, a constant flow of uh, new business opportunities is that uh, existing companies uh, fail to grasp uh, the new and it opens up opportunities. And uh, that's what uh, both Jack and I have, have done uh, a couple of times in our lives. So I would say uh, when I think, it, what is it, to innovate, it is to reject the status quo. to say that may be the way things are, but that's not how I think things should be. And uh, I, I think then that uh, uh, something must change and, and then a process which is a which is not a dreamlike, easy process, but a, but a really difficult process of, of confronting reality and trying to push it around to try to get something new and different out of it. What was the
0: spark that told you that cell phones were a possibility?
1: Well, for me, I was uh, I was unbelievably lucky in that uh, when I got my first job after, after law school, uh, I worked for the uh, uh, U.S. Court of Appeals, the Federal uh, Appeals Court, and when my term there was over, Uh, The judge uh, that I worked for suggested that I try working at the Federal Communications Commission. And when I tried that process, uh, uh, just through more or less random chance, they put me in uh, that part of the agency which regulated mobile telephones. And uh, that was in 1970, which was roughly 12 years before the first cell phone. But I, I began to learn the the regulatory process and the players in the space, and it was just kind of a natural evolution for me. So, uh, good luck uh, met up with uh, with uh, hard work, and and I was able to be to develop an expertise in that space. And and who knew, including myself, who knew how truly revolutionary it would become. Uh, Jack,
0: you've innovated in on many fronts that uh, I've. Been researching you a little bit. You were two term governor of Delaware. And that must require a lot of uh, constant innovation to keep up with changes and to anticipate change and to improve the quality of life of people in the state. But you've also innovated in the theater and I believe written at least one song. So that's quite a bit of innovation. Tell us about how innovation works or doesn't work in state government.
1: And I'm counting on some part of his answer to be in song, aren't you? Uh, you, you can keep we waiting for that. Have space at the end of
0: the program for him to sing. It's all arranged, you know.
2: Yeah, good. Uh, well, first of all, I find myself in violent agreement with Morgan's explanation uh, of innovation, probably because much of what I learned about innovation I learned from Morgan. You know, the challenge is that... Um, you know, there aren't really a lot of incentives in most big organizations to innovate because nobody, you know, loses their job, the old expression, nobody loses their job by going with IBM, and that's nothing disrespectful about IBM, but, you know, if you try something different and it doesn't work in the government realm, uh, you'll be reading about it in the newspaper. Maybe the state auditor's gonna do a report about you. If you're an elected official, your next opponent uh, we'll use it against you. So there are so many incentives for people not to want to innovate. And I think one of the biggest challenges in government is really to try to paint a different picture and to bring people along in thinking differently about the problems. And I entirely agree with Morgan. It, 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 it really starts with understanding where you want to get and, and forgetting for a second the way people have always gotten there in the past. And really thinking differently. Okay, you know, things have changed, technologies changed, regulations have changed, customer expectations have changed. Where is it that we're trying to get? And let's freeform, think about it for a bit. And let's let's always make sure that when we have a difficult decision to make, we have people at the table who will disagree with us. Because to get the very best ideas means you cannot surround yourself with yes people. And I think that's a big part of it. I think again, you know, one of the things that Morgan uh, as well as Brian McCauley, with whom he started uh, Nextel, did so well, is they uh, they really did encourage debate. They encouraged people to speak up. Uh, once they made a decision, there was an, an an expectation we would all march in the same direction, but they really wanted to hear from all points of view, and I think that's a, a good advice for all innovators.
0: And um, I think there's uh, attention, and you've touched on it, Jack, and I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, Morgan, But in a a large organization, there's a temptation uh, for the stress between what is working and what might work. I've always thought that if you get a very large, successful organization, the very nature of it is antithetical to innovation, antithetical to new ideas, antithetical to breaking out of the mold. And we've seen examples of where companies have gone to some lengths to suppress new ideas or new inventions. I suppose Sarnoff with the FM radio was the greatest example where he paid for the development of FM radio, which changed radio totally, took the static out of it. But when it was invented for him, he refused to put it into production because he was making so much money selling AM radios. That's a shameful thing, but it's a true thing that has happened. I suspect it happens quite a bit, and it's something that you have to overcome. I also noticed, just looking across the whole panoply of invention, that there is a tendency for the true inventor to have to break away from the corporation and start something new. We have many, many examples of this, where people have left IBM, for example, Or left other large, successful companies to do something
2: new. I think you know history is just too full of examples of companies that have, you know, thought they've got a great thing going. They did have a great thing going until they didn't, and they don't because either customer expectations change, or because somebody comes up with a better mousetrap. I mean, over and over and over again. I mean, just look at the changes and you know the makeup of the 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 thirty companies in the Dow over time. I mean, huge changes. Uh, over time. And so I think it's very important that you be willing uh, to break things, uh, even when things are going well, and really staying very closely in tune with what your customers expect. But it's, it's actually bigger than that, because customers often are not in a position to tell you what they want differently, because they have not yet been exposed to it. And I think that's one of the uh, that's where great innovators come into play. And, I, and honestly, I mean, I do think about it in the context of the uh, the company that Morgan is the chairman of, Anterix, uh, really rethinking how utilities, other big uh, industrial companies communicate, not just voice communication, but data communication, video communication. So many more things are possible if they have the opportunity to reinvent they're telecom, their telecom networks, and that's exactly what Anterix has done, and I think what you are going to see over the next few years are some massive changes that are going to be good for the companies, it's going to be good for customers, it's going to be good for everybody, and that's what innovation can do. If you've got somebody who's willing to really think differently, push the envelope, and by the way, also take a lot of rejection from people who say, I don't need that. Why are you even discussing it with us? We've never heard of you before. And then all of a sudden, uh, you're going to find that you're dependent upon this new company. Uh,
1: uh,
0: Jack has raised the issue of what you're doing now. company many right. more would you like to tell us about that and how is it sure. an innovator?
1: Sure, sure, sure. Um, first, let me start by saying uh, you would think that uh, the process of innovation is uh, a personal matter gets easier over time, particularly if you've had success. So you would think, and I, I often speak to groups of uh, entrepreneurial wannabes, and I say to them, you would think for me after a significant success with Nextel, that the next time I try to innovate and and craft change would be easier. But in fact, it's harder because the, the desire to, to not be seen as failing. That that the aversion to failure, to the perception of failing, no matter how successful you've been, never leaves you. At least it never leaves me. So uh, the story of Enterix is that as as an alum of several efforts that involved the, the creative use of spectrum, I decided I I had one more such effort in me, and I wanted to recreate the same environment that, uh, that I, I enjoyed at Enterix. I mean, at uh, at Nextel. So I went back to some of the the regulars from uh, from uh, from Nextel, and, and Jack, for example, was one of the first people I called, and has been a valuable consultant to us. And we put together what we thought was a uh, somewhat of a replay of Nextel, in that we would acquire spectrum from the FCC that was encumbered by uh, rules that were outdated, and see if we could get the FCC to uh, allow us to innovate on that spectrum by changing its rules, which is a which is a massive undertaking. These are these are rules that have been in place for thirty years. The long and the short of it is we saw a crisis developing in the electric utility industry it's only more visible now than it was five years ago when we started this and it's the need for the industry to have vast amounts of data real time collected as their as their network as their uh, the architecture of the electric grid changes to introduce far more uh, distributed generation of of energy. So we saw an opportunity to confront an industry, which initially, as Jack suggested, was essentially opposed, take on the establishment, lay out a vision for what can happen. And uh, very luckily for us, and, and, and I think it's a tribute to the Federal Communications Commission, which normally, when presented with such an opportunity normally works through the process a lot more slowly than some of us would like, but they typically get it right. So we're right now, just a few months past having won a victory at the FCC, and so now real time, we're discussing with the major utilities in the United States the opportunity to use next generation wireless technologies for grid modernization and improvement and security, which is, which is something that... You can't read a newspaper and not see that there are elements of the electric grid that are not secure, whether it's wildfires, or whether it's cybersecurity, or whether it is just antiquated equipment. Uh, The grid upon which so much of society depends is at great risk. We have have a role, we see, uh, in addressing that.
0: I'd like to go back to what Jack said, because I so wholeheartedly agree. Uh, with it and and that is that you really have to break away from big corporations to get things done but also what he said what i thought was significant you can't ask people whether they will like what they cannot imagine that is one of the great limits of marketing and and market analysis uh, in publishing who would have said they wanted a magazine that had very long articles quickly typed And at the time it was introduced, the bylines at the end of the articles about a man called Ross did it, and it's the New Yorker, and it's still with us. You can't ask people whether they would like what they cannot imagine, although they might adore it. And that's where creativity, self-confidence, and vision come together. Uh, I would like you, both of you, to comment on one of your competitors for the accolades of invention and that is Elon Musk. What an extraordinary man. He's basically invented the electric vehicle, done much to invent the solar revolution, uh, changed the way we go into space, and would like to change the way we move from one city to the other through a tube in the ground. Um, This is a lot of invention. This is of a scale that rivals Edison and the impact is vast. What do we think of Elon Musk? Is this all up to one man? And how does one man do it and pull it off?
2: Um, Jack, would you like to start? Uh, Sure, I mean, I I can tell you everybody that I know who has a Tesla loves it. I I don't have one, but the people absolutely uh, love it. Um, And as you said, I mean, he's had really incredible creativity uh, across a number of industries, willing to willing to go up against the big players, um, and uh, so far doing very well. One of my favorite quotes is that vision, without the ability to execute, is just an hallucination. Uh, I think that was from. Uh, if I might interject. What's that? I said another very good point. If I might interject. Yeah. And I think that was uh, I think that was Thomas Edison. And so you know a cha- the challenge for a guy uh, like this, and so far he really seems to be doing extremely well with this, uh, is to execute. And I you have to be very tough-minded because if you if you go back only a year, and you look at some of the articles that were written about Tesla a year ago, uh, highly critical. Uh, if, I mean, certainly the stock price has just been astonishing. Um, but I think it was in a, the, the few hundred dollars uh, a year ago, and now on a Risk without having adjusted for split would be up, I think, in a couple about, around a couple thousand. But there were questions about whether the company would be able to survive. And he pushed through, and he was tough. And I think this this the ability to simultaneously think way out of the box, to be tough-minded, to focus on implementation, to not take to to not be willing to take no uh, for an answer. Uh, and to be selling, selling, selling your vision is uh, there aren't that many people who can who can pull it off, and so it does not surprise me that those who can really rise to the crop, uh, rise you know the cream of the crop, and are extraordinarily successful. Well, let, let me make let me make this point. Um, I mean,
1: the word genius is used too often, but uh, let's just say that guy's a genius. Uh, but uh, another dimension. I had, until uh, a year or so ago, I had never uh, seen him actually perform. You know, I, I, Of course, I knew of him. I knew of all of his travails with, with uh, the company and whatever, whatever. But I saw on YouTube, and I recommend it, uh, uh, there's, a, there's like a half an hour in which he comes out and basically introduces a new model of the Tesla. And, and it's extremely low key no high production values. He walks out and he talks about that car. And if he did nothing else, but that, I would just be so impressed the way he does it. It's so difficult. It's so difficult and so rare. Uh, so we're just, we're just talking about somebody who has unique gifts. So I I would think, uh, I felt the same way about Jeff Bezos because for so many years, he was hammered for continuing to plow everything back into Amazon. And, you know, when is it ever going to turn a profit? When is it ever going to turn a profit? What does he know about books? What does he know about publishing? Whatever, whatever. And and he has had the same dogged determination. And I'll, I'll finish with Jack's point because I think it's the one that's the most important. Not caring whether conventional wisdom agrees. Just not caring, or at least not appearing to care. Just letting it right over you. That's hard. That is hard. All of us, all of us seek approval. And the more successful, I, I always tell students this, the more successful you've been as a student, the more you seek approval. And that basically works against you because it makes you very t- intolerant of taking big risks, because you want that approval, it's a drug. Somewhere
0: in this, there is a magic that some people have that can take uh, an entrepreneurial situation and make it a global product, service, etc. To my mind, a shoeshine man on the street of New Orleans is an entrepreneur. He's trying to sell a service and provide the service, and it's a complete world of entrepreneurism, but he has no ambition or mechanism or ability to turn it into worldwide shoeshine. Whereas Vidal Sassoon, a hairdresser, Mm -hmm. turned hairdressing, which, by the way, he despised, but because of prejudice against Jews in Britain, when he started out, he told a television interviewer, that how he didn't want to be a hairdresser, He'd rather have been in steel or insurance or something, but those doors were not open. But he made himself a multimillionaire and a worldwide product, a hair product, but also styling the whole, the totality of the beauty business. He he did, took a hairdresser and turned it in. Now, not everybody can do that. Uh, and when we start talking about it, people then want to teach entrepreneurism. Is it teachable or is it innate?
2: I'll let Morgan th- talk about it because he's actually taught this some. Um, and I would say I would say it's, um,
1: it's, not, it's not teachable except to the extent of uh, laying out some of these counterintuitive properties that you can you can embrace failure if, uh, it's the necessary part of achieving innovation and success so you 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 must embrace it and that's something that's 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 hard but you you uh, jack jack did this with, with me a couple times and i did it a bunch of times uh i, I was We were brought to teach, to to sort of tell the story of Nextel at the Wharton uh, Executive Program, and uh, I did it a number of years. Jack came with me a couple of times. It was terrific. But the professor, after the fact, always said, the thing that the students need the most from, and, and the reason that this is so popular, is that your narrative about Nextel is one failure after the other. Not not a, we were so smart, we did this. We were so smart, we did that. It was one catastrophic de- development after another. And and Jack and I, I, Jack had like a totally full head of hair when he started working this process with us. And uh, it was, there's, there's nothing more difficult than undergoing these kind of uh, failures, of continuing to keep on with the objective in mind. And something I hadn't thought of before, but I like Jack's view is, it seems to me that the entrepreneur and the politician in that respect share quite a lot. And that's maybe it was natural for you to move to
2: that. Right, and this is, you know, I I brought up earlier this idea of being tough-minded. You know, you are going to be, if if you're an entrepreneur uh, as Morgan was, but going up against sort of the establishment they will work very hard to preserve and to protect uh, what has been theirs. And the idea of an interloper uh, coming in is not something that they are, you know, all that enthusiastic about. I'm thinking particularly in in the case of Nextel, uh, going up against what was the duopoly of the the cell companies uh, at the time. So you have to be very tough minded. And the same thing in politics, you you know, in in politics, if you have 55% support, you win in a landslide. Well, 45% of the people can make a lot of noise and they can let you know exactly how they feel. This is why you have to ground yourself in what you believe. And it's also particularly in in politics, maybe in business too. Uh, My experience is you really have to explain yourself to the people. I think everything you do has to be grounded. In a sense of how a real world view about how the world around us is changing what those changes mean what we have to do differently as a result and my experience was if you explain all that people may not like where you come out but they'll respect it morgan
0: in conclusion what about jobs are we going to subtract jobs or are we going to add jobs the industrial revolution since its inception, added jobs, more products, more people making those products, et cetera. Have we reached a point of inflection where that isn't true anymore?
1: Well, uh, Llewellyn, if I were not a glass-half-full person, uh, I really would not be uh, worthy of the name innovator. Jack,
0: uh, uh, Morgan, this half-full thing, what's it half-full of?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hope. Um, uh, but it's, I, I'm a little contrarian in the way I view coronavirus and the aftermath. I'm astonished by the flexibility and the stability of our economy and our culture, and, and how despite the slings and arrows, uh, it's to me it's pretty amazing. Pretty amazingly stable doesn't mean that there aren't many people suffering hardship, but uh, we go on. Looking at the employees in in Enterics, they go on, they haven't missed a beat. And I believe that to be true in many cases. Uh, We will innovate our way around these obstacles as we have so many times in the past and I think jobs, jobs, more jobs, clearly. Well, thank
0: you, and you've had the last word. Thank you both very much for an enlightening
1: conversation
0: and for coming on the program. I hope you'll both come back.
1: Thank you. Enjoy it, as always. Thanks, Will.
0: That's our show for today. We thank you for coming along, and we will be with you next week. Until then, you know what you have to do. Our program, White House Chronicle, is on offer as a podcast for you to enjoy. Full shows on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and all major audio platforms. Subscribe and take us with you in your mind.